0: Hey, good morning. Well, over the last few weeks, we've been looking through the story of Jesus from Luke's gospel. Luke was a man who was a doctor and he put together what we call a gospel, a kind of good news story, all about Jesus. He's a man who collected up all sorts of eyewitness evidence and stitched it together into the story of Jesus so that we could understand who he was and what he did. But more than just so we could understand, Luke was writing so that we would really be sure about who Jesus is. That's what our story is all about today, being really sure that he's king of everything, and then knowing how to come and follow him and walk with him and, and give all of our lives, every single corner, over to him. The last couple of weeks we've been looking at these, a couple of famous stories or famous passages that teach us about what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to be one of his disciples or apprentices. A couple of weeks ago we had the story of two sisters, Mary and Martha. And that was teaching us that the most important thing you could do with your life is to spend time sitting down and listening to Jesus' voice. And then last week, we looked at the flip side of that, which is not us listening to Jesus' voice, but us using our voices to speak to him. Prayer was what we were talking about last week, our speaking to God. And then we come to this really interesting story this week, chapter 11, verse 14, and it starts with a man who can't speak. You see the connection there? We're supposed to listen to Jesus's voice, to ask him our questions, to come to him and and listen. And then we're supposed to use our voices to speak to him so we can know him better and and be in this daily walking relationship with Jesus. But this man can't do that. He can't speak. He can't ask Jesus his questions. He can't call him over. He can't say, I love you. I want to follow you. He can't speak at all. And this really happened in history. Um, Jesus helped and healed this man, but it's also a picture of what we're like. We're going to look through this story and then we're going to try and pick out and draw out a few lessons about what does it teach us about evil in the world, about demons, about this personal, supernatural evil. Maybe that's a bit weird We haven't talked or thought much about that before. OK, um, we'll get to that in a minute. We're going to learn some lessons about evil. We're going to learn some lessons about Jesus. And then we're going to learn some lessons about ourselves and kind of try and knit them all together. But let's look at this story first. So this man can't speak. That's his problem. Imagine what that would have been like. Can you imagine that? Just the, that, you could, that you didn't have the gift of speech. I mean, it is a gift, isn't it? To be able to use our voices so people can get to know us. They can hear our accent. They can hear your tone of voice. They can hear your words and you can express yourself to them. Or you can use your voice to ask questions and get to know other people. Not being able to speak is, must be so frustrating. I mean, if you've ever been on holiday and just can't speak the language. Imagine if you were like this man, just literally couldn't speak at all. Not even to your mother she had never heard your voice or to your father he could never kind of pass on his hobbies to you imagine that you couldn't speak what would that be like it would be like being in a prison of your own mind of your own body it must have been horrible for this man but jesus comes and turns it upside down jesus comes like he does so many times and fixes this man's life Jesus has come into the world. We've seen this through Luke so far. If, if you haven't been along with us, go back and read it. Jesus has landed in the world like a, like a bomb of light and goodness, if you can have a, I don't know, a bomb that works like that. But he's changed everything. He's turned the world the right way up again. He's been healing. He's been feeding people who are hungry. He's made it so that, that we don't need doctors anymore in this time anyway. Now, he's made it so that they didn't need social security, so that nobody had any kind of spiritual worries. Jesus has been showing what his kingdom is like. It's a place where there's no sickness, no darkness, no no sadness. Tissue manufacturers go out of business. And Jesus does the same for this man's life. He comes in and diagnoses the problem and turns his life the right way up again. Jesus sees it's a spiritual problem. Now, this man isn't It isn't just that there's a physical thing or a kind of psychological thing going on. No, this man has some kind of evil force, personal evil force, affecting his life so that he can't speak. Jesus knows exactly what the problem is and he deals with it. He drives away this spiritual force, this demon, and the man can speak again and everybody's amazed. And imagine what that would have been like just to hear him speak for the first time ever. It would have been amazing, but not everybody's amazed. See, there's these other people in the story who start accusing Jesus, who see him do something beautiful and good and point the finger and say that's essentially that's ugly and bad. What kind of hearts must these people have to have? What kind of topsy-turvy rewiring have they managed to do in their brains that they see Jesus doing this and accuse him of being in league with evil? That's what they do, isn't it? They say no, this isn't good. It's by Beelzebub. That was like a common uh, kind of popular name that people gave to the prince of demons. So by the prince of demons, he's driving out demons. You can try and make that work in your head. And Jesus is really kind to them. I mean, imagine this: look, they've got Jesus, they've got God Himself walking amongst them, goodness and light and truth personified, and they call Him Satan. What more evidence do you want? Like, what more could God do than have? his son walk into your life and do miracle after miracle i mean this isn't the first one he's done he's been casting out demons and healing like i said a bomb has gone off in the culture at this time he's swept the nation clean of sickness and evil and and then they look at jesus and say no no no. that's not good that's bad he's not god he's satan and jesus in response what i mean what should he have done turned his back and walked away i think that's what i would have done but he doesn't he stands and he speaks to them jesus is really kind he's pretty stark with his words it's a stinging thing that he says but it's kindness because he's trying to bring them to their senses to help them see what's right in front of their faces jesus says come on now think it through a kingdom divided against itself will fall if satan is divided against himself how can his kingdom stand okay all right hypothetically maybe Satan would, for tactical reasons, uh, put on a show so that it looked like somebody was casting out a demon. Okay, maybe you can get your head around, maybe that would work for some reason to kind of confuse people or something. Maybe he would do that once. But there's absolutely no way that Satan would go around driving out demons all left, right and centre, sweeping up, cleaning the whole land. He just wouldn't do that. That would be the end of his kingdom. That would be civil war in the camp of evil. That would be the end of it. It just doesn't really make sense that he would do that. And okay, if you didn't believe that, now, if I do it by Satan, what about your exorcists? There's a second piece of evidence. Your sons, people in your families who claim to drive out demons. What power are they using to do this? Have you accused them of being Satan as well? He's asking these people. And obviously the answer to that is no. And so Jesus says, "Okay, look, if you just think it through for a second, you'll realise, verse 20, if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come among you. Do you see that? If I'm driving out these evil forces, that must mean that I'm on the side of good. It must mean that I am on the side of God, that God's spirit, that his power is working through me to drive out evil. And if that's the case, it means the kingdom has come. See, Jesus is picking up kind of promises and prophecies made hundreds of years before from all sorts of places in the Bible. One place you could go is Isaiah 35. Isaiah was a prophet and Isaiah 35 says this, that when God comes, when he comes among you to save you, what will it look like? It goes like this, Isaiah 35, verse five, The eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. The lame will leap around like deer and the mute tongue will shout for joy. That's what it'll look like when God comes to visit you. And so they really should have seen it. But the problem was they didn't want to see it. Do you see it? They didn't want it to be true. And so they rewired their brains. They hardened their hearts and they called Jesus Satan and they walked away from him. How sad is that? Jesus gives us a picture um, to show, to explain to them what he's doing from verse 21. It says, when a strong man fully armed guards his own house, his possessions are safe. Jesus is using that as a picture of Satan. Okay, so Satan and demons, these personal active spiritual forces really do have power in the world. They're active. They do have power over people, over things, over, over this world. They're like a strong man who has possessions, and those possessions are people, like the man in the story. The man is a picture of all of us. All of us before we meet Jesus are under Satan's power. It doesn't mean that we're into Satanism and kind of, I don't know, pagan stuff where we're worshipping demons or anything like that. It just means that, we, that we're silent when it comes to God. That Satan's aim is to create a silent planet that would never speak to God and would never hear from him. Do you see that so this man was a real man in history who jesus really healed in history It happened but he's also a picture of all of us all of us without god are silent just like him we're made to know god we're made to walk with him and talk with him and get to know him be to use our voices to be like the high priests of all of creation to kind of bring the whole world to come and know him, with our voices as we pray and just talk to That's what we're made for, that's why God gave us a speech, so that we would speak to him and to other people, that we'd express love and worship of him as we love other people, with our lips, with our tongues. That's why we have voices, but Satan wants a silent planet, a planet that's cut off from God, a planet full of people who never pray, who eventually forget that there is, even is a God to pray to, who are locked in a prison, It seems peaceful and quiet, but it's really just a silent place. If you've ever read or watched any of the Narnia films, the picture here is is the picture of the White Witch in in her castle. And there she is, sitting in front of a great court, a throne room full of silent stone creatures. It's eerie and it's scary and she loves it, but everybody else is cold and dead and silent. That's what the picture is. But what happens next in verse 22 is just beautiful. No, there's a strong man, but there's somebody even stronger. When someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armour in which the man trusted and divides up the spoils, takes those prisoners home. That's Jesus talking about himself. He is the stronger man. Do you see that? There's no need to be afraid of Satan and demons. There's no need for a chill to go down your spine or worry about superstitious things that you're cursed or or something like that. No, Jesus is the stronger man. He's come into this world, broken into the white witch's castle and and started talking to the prisoners. (laughs) Can you see that? It's so good, isn't it? Jesus has broken into the world, the stronger man, to start to talk to the prisoners. The picture of it in the Narnia Chronicles is Aslan, the great lion, breaks into the hall, While the queen is out busy fighting other battles and losing, he breaks into the hall and starts breathing on the creatures, these stone creatures, and they start coming back to life. And the first thing that they see is his face, the king's face, and they fall on his mane and they they cutch him, and it's just a beautiful scene. And that's Jesus here, isn't it, with this man? He can't speak, he can't know God or other people. And Jesus breaks into his life, a truth and love bomb goes off in it, and he can speak again, he can pray. He can be known and know other people because he can speak. That's what Jesus does. That man was in Satan's creepy trophy cabinet. Trophy cabinet of souls, of people who he's kept silent, kept away from God. But Jesus breaks in, strips Satan naked, (laughs) and then takes all the people who belong to him and says, You're mine now. You're mine. Welcome to a kingdom of warmth and beauty, of life, of speech, of being known and knowing me. That's what God's kingdom, that's what Jesus' kingdom is all about. It's about not being silent anymore. It's about knowing him and using our voices to pray. So do you pray? That's the question. If you're a Christian, have you neglected that? It's just the most beautiful and the most basic thing. It's the chief exercise of faith. If you have faith, the way that you exercise it is by using your voice to speak to Jesus. So have you done that today? Do you enjoy that? Do you enjoy just getting lost? communicating with him. That's what we're made for. So if you take one thing away from today, make it that. Jesus has made it possible for silent people who lived on a silent planet to speak up, to hear him and to know him. So what does that teach us? Um, What are a few lessons we can draw out? Well, maybe we've seen them already, I hope so. Let me just try and kind of underline them as we go on. What does it teach us about demons? Well, it teaches us that they're real. Maybe that freaks you out. Maybe you hear stories about that kind of thing and you have one of two reactions. Let me read to you C.S. Lewis at the beginning of this really brilliant book. It's called, I don't know if you can see it there, if that's in focus. It's called The Screwtape Letters. I'd really recommend that you read it. Um, He goes like this at the very beginning. He says, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race, humanity can fall about the devils. So when we're thinking about spiritual things, about evil in particular, about demons, there are two errors that we usually fall into. One, is to disbelieve in their existence, and the other is to believe, but to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves, demons, are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist, someone who believes this world is all there is, or a magician, someone who's really into spiritual stuff. They hail both of them with the same delight. Two errors. You can either be really interested and obsessed with spiritual forces and demons and supernatural stuff. and and superstitious things, really into it so it controls your life, or you can dismiss it altogether as complete nonsense. Which one do you tend towards? When you hear stories about supernatural stuff, do you tend to just dismiss it as basically nonsense? Or do you take it seriously, sometimes too seriously? Does it give you chills down your spine and keep you up at night? And I don't know, think about if one of your work colleagues or a friend says they were going to visit a medium. And, you know, they want to speak to somebody who's who's died. You can understand that desire, can't you? I really miss somebody. And they want to go and speak to somebody who says they can speak to the dead. And are you somebody who goes, oh, that's just complete nonsense. What a charlatan is it? It's nonsense. And you, so you try and stop them because they're just wasting their money. Or maybe you would, you'd be really freaked out by that. And you try and stop them because you don't want them to get stuck into into the occult, into spiritual stuff that they don't understand, that they can't control, that will end up wrecking their lives. Well, which camp do you sit in? Each of us can learn something. If you're obsessed with it, if you're constantly scared of thinking that there's a demon behind anything scary or anything you can't explain, then you need to come and look at who Jesus is. Stop spending time thinking about demons and angels and all the supernatural stuff. Come and think more about Jesus and realise who he is. Or if you're the materialist, if you're somebody who thinks the only stuff that's real, things that you can prod with your finger, that you can see with your senses. If that's you, you don't really believe in the supernatural stuff at all, then you need to wake up. It really is real. Maybe you believe in God, right? Who is a personal, real living good in the world. Well then... What's stopping there being a personal, real, living evil in the world? They're not equal, as we'll see in a second. They're really not equal. But there is personified evil in the world, in Satan and demons. And we're not going to talk too much more about them. If you've got more questions, you can, um, you can chat to me. Or send me an email or something like that. Or a Sammy or another Christian that you know, who you would trust. And get them to open their Bible and teach you a little bit about that. But there's two warnings. Don't write them off, but don't get obsessed by them and try and find a demon under every rock. Ultimately don't fear. Why? Because it's not just that Satan and demons are real and strong, it's that Jesus is real and stronger. So that's our second thing to learn today. Satan and demons are real, but Jesus is real and stronger than they are. Jesus is strong and kind. That's what we learned, isn't it? He's the strong man. There's not an equal and opposite battle going on between him and Satan. There's a really It's a real mismatch, to be honest. Satan is embarrassed when it comes to Jesus. He's the God who made everything. And there's no match for them at all. Jesus defeats him. He's the stronger man who comes, strips him naked and takes his stuff away. Rescues the people who were stone and silent and brings them to life and and have a voice. But what else is Jesus? Well, Jesus is really kind. He's patient with us. You see, we can learn something about ourselves as well. This is a third thing. Um, We often feel that there's not enough evidence to believe in Jesus. But the evidence is right here in Luke's story, the evidence is right here in the lives of other Christians around you. The evidence, I imagine, is in your own life. I think we know that there really is a God. But these people, no, I mean, they actually had Jesus standing in front of them. Have you ever wished for that? To actually see Jesus' miracles. And immediately after they see an amazing miracle, they're saying, oh, can you show us another sign from heaven, please? another one and another one and they're blowing smoke over the whole thing pretending like it's not enough because evidence really isn't the thing that persuades us. See evidence isn't the problem or lack of it, the problem is that we don't want Jesus to be real, we don't want it to be like this. We're often like these people, we want to just go our own way, make it up according to our own rules. That's what these people did, that's what we so often do, that's something to learn about humanity. We're silent, But often we're silent before God because we want to be silent, we don't want to believe in him. Is that you? Are you somebody who's been around in church for a long long time, come to umpteen Christianity Explored courses, Alpha courses, umpteen Bible studies, umpteen conversations with Christians and you're still still deciding about the evidence? Is that you? Maybe you could be honest with yourself today and and hear Jesus' words, be honest and say there is plenty of evidence there, there really is enough. If you were just coming to this for the first time, then it's, it's legitimate. It's a good thing to have a bit of time, spending time to look at the evidence, to listen to it and to weigh it up and see whether it's really true. I'm not saying just jump in at the deep end without ever having really thought about it or counted, counted up the evidence and counted what it's going to cost you to do that. I'm not saying just jump in without thinking. I'm saying if you've been thinking about this for a while, then to be honest, you need to hear Jesus' words in verse 23. Jesus says, he who's not with me is against me. And he who doesn't gather with me scatters. There isn't a fence to sit on. There isn't a camp of people who are kind of not against Jesus, but also not really for him. You're either following him and loving him and walking with him wholeheartedly, or you're against him. So you need to make a decision. There's plenty of evidence. Maybe today is the time for you to say, "Okay, Jesus, I can see it and I trust you. I think that you're really good and I'm going to trust my life to you. I want to listen. I want to speak, I want to be part of your kingdom. So that's what this last story is all about. And Jesus talks about sweeping a house and the house is swept, all this evil and badness is swept away, the demons got rid of it. it's kind of a picture of somebody's life. But then nothing takes its place. And soon the demon comes back and it's back to square one. In fact, it's even worse than at the beginning. So this is Jesus warning to the man who's just been healed. He says, it's not enough for you just to speak, for you to have, got rid of kind of evil and bad stuff in your life. It's not enough just to turn over a new leaf and try harder. It will go wrong, either in that you'll end up worse than you were at the beginning, or you'll just end up religious and proud because you ended up fixing yourself. Now, what you need is not just to sweep away the bad stuff, not just to get rid of those um, demons and other spiritual stuff in your life or get rid of whatever's wrong. You need to be filled. You need to have me come into your life by the Spirit. That's what they prayed for in the last chapter. You need to have the Holy Spirit come into your life, fill up your house and guard your house. So Jesus says um, in verse 28, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. It's not just about obedience, it's about taking God's word, taking his kingdom, taking Jesus himself into the center of your life, the center of your heart and guarding him and letting him guard you. It's about filling up your house, filling up your life with Jesus, every small corner. So that when temptation comes, when spiritual forces attack you, when anything happens, you'll be safe. You'll be OK. It'll be hard. It'll be difficult. It'll be a challenge. It's not easy to live for Jesus in this life, but you'll be ready because you won't hope just got rid of the bad stuff and then kind of tried to go on in your own strength. You'll have Jesus with you and in you, guarding you and protecting you. You'll have the stronger man there to fight against every scheme of the evil one. Let's finish with some words from Ephesians chapter 6 summarise all of this together. And look, if you've got questions, if this has stirred up a kind of wasp's nest of who knows what on earth this is all talking about. If you have loads of questions, I'd love to speak to you about it. I know this is the kind of stuff that we maybe don't talk about very often. Or maybe we, maybe you're part of circles that talk about it too often. And maybe you need to come and hear what Jesus says about it. So I'd love to talk to you, I'd love to connect you with a Christian friend who could read through the scriptures and help you understand this a bit better. Um, maybe that's something you want to pick up and take further a little bit later on. But I wanted us to finish just with some verses from Ephesians chapter 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle isn't against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled round your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith. Trust in Jesus. With it, you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. So come on, let's use our voices and pray to this God. Lord, we thank you so much that you've made it possible for us to open our mouths, to open our hearts, to open our minds and to know you. Lord, we ask that you would help us if we haven't done that before, to come before you, to trust you as the God, the King, the stronger man that you are. Lord, help us to come before you and use our voices to ask our questions and use our voices to call you into our lives. You will use our voices to come into your kingdom and to know that you guard us and keep us and will keep us and protect us through life and into life eternal with you. Amen. Amen.